Well, good morning and welcome to Warden. I also want to say hi to those of you who are joining us online. We're so glad you chose to be with us today. Well, I hope you're enjoying your summer so far. A few weeks ago, I had the privilege of going to Newfoundland on a vacation with my family. John and I went to Sarah and Joel and their two kids and Leah and her two kids went. It was a great time, but I got to admit, it was a little crazy and it was busy with all the kids and everything, but it was a lot of fun. We went to a number of different places. First, we went to Davidsville, which is where my dad lives and spent some time there. And then we went to the St. John's area for a couple of days. And then we went to Bonavista for a couple of days and back to Davidsville. And then we went to to Deer Lake. Now, Newfoundland is a beautiful and unique part of Canada, and if you ever get a chance to go visit, you should go because it's really nice. Uh, did you know that Newfoundland has its own breed of dog? There's a Newfoundland dog, but they also have a Newfoundland horse or a Newfoundland pony. Now, while we were driving down the road in Bonavista, we saw one of these Newfoundland ponies. Here it is. We stopped to take a picture, and I'd just like to show it to you. Now, I want you to be the judge this morning, okay? Does that pony look like anybody you know? Is there any resemblance to anybody that you, you know? Okay, it, look at this picture. What about now? If you're here, you can say it out loud. If you're online, you can write it in the chat. Who do you think that looks like? It's okay. Everybody thought it. John was the first to point out the resemblance, and then it became the running joke of my family. They all thought, of course, that it looked like me. My grandkids called it the Nana horse. <laughs> It's the hair. It's the hair that does it. They were joking, of course, and I can take it. It was okay. I actually think it's quite funny. But it's important, I think, in dealing with people that we don't judge too quickly. Today we're in part two of our Astonishing Words series. Last week we looked at how Jesus said, do not worry. Today we're going to look at how Jesus said, do not judge. You know, there's a sad perception about Christians among people who don't consider themselves Christians. And the perception is that Christians are judgmental. The Barna Group surveyed people outside of the church between the ages of uh, 19 and 26. And 87% said they would describe the term judgmental describes present-day Christianity. Just as sad is that half of the Christians they surveyed in the same age range also believe that the term judgmental describes present-day Christians. See, the perception both inside and outside of the church is that Christians are more focused on condemning people than helping them. And I think that's so sad. And Jesus, he anticipated that his followers might have a tendency to become judgmental. So he addressed this fact in his Sermon on the Mount. If you have your Bibles, you can turn with me to Matthew chapter 7. I'm going to read verses 1 to 5. <clears throat> Again, that's Matthew 7, 1 to 5. It says, Do not judge, or you too will be judged. For in the same way you judge others, you will be judged. And with the measure you use, it will, me, uh, it will be measured to you. Why do you look at the, the speck of sawdust in your brother's eye and pay no attention to the plank in your own eye? 
How can you say to your brother, let me take the speck out of your eye, when all the time there is a plank in your own eye? You hypocrite. First take the plank out of your own eye, and then you will see clearly to remove the speck from your brother's eye. Let's pause for a moment to pray. God, we thank you for your love. We thank you for your word. Thank you for all the wisdom and the knowledge it gives us, God. And I pray today as we look into your word that you would give us open hearts and that you would help me, God, to speak only the things you would have me say, God. Help us to become more like you. Let your word penetrate our hearts and change us today. We need you so much. This world needs you so much. So God, help us individually and as a church to be people that show your light to the world, that they would see you in us. And I just thank you and ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, to sum up this passage Jesus, that we just read, Jesus says, do not judge. Astonishing, isn't it? <laughs> the first thing we need to do and the need to establish is we need to know what does it mean to judge. Now, there's three possible meanings for the word judge. One possible meaning is to judge as in a person who sits in a courtroom, a high-ranking court official, formerly a lawyer who supervises uh, trials and, and um, they pronounce sentences. The second definition could be to discern, someone who can give an informed opinion on something. And the third definition is to condemn, to criticize or condemn someone on moral grounds. Now, in order for us to be obedient and follow the instructions Jesus gives us in Matthew chapter 7, verse 1, we need to understand which meaning Jesus intends for this message. Now, we know it's not wrong to be a judge as a career, so it can't mean that. And then in other passages of the scripture, we're taught to be discerning about people and situations. Even Jesus himself in the verses to come tells us to watch out for false prophets and to examine people's fruit. And the Bible says in 1 Corinthians 2.15, but he that is spiritual judges all things. And then in John 7.24, it says, do not judge according to appearance, but judge with righteous judgment. So in looking at the context, we can see that Jesus encourages us to be discerning. So we can conclude that when Jesus said, do not judge, he was talking about criticize or condemn somebody on moral grounds. He was talking about being judgmental. He's saying, don't look at someone and size them up and write them off. You know, as Jesus looked at the religious leaders of his day, he saw that they were being judgmental of others. The Pharisees and the scribes, they sat in place of critic. They were quick to pass judgment on those who didn't live up to their expectations. The Pharisees, they were used to judging other people self-righteously. They had 613 laws they followed, and they, they imposed those laws on everyone else. Now, before we're too harsh in judging those scribes and Pharisees of Jesus' day, let's stop 
and look at ourselves. We too are oftentimes guilty of having personal convictions of our own and then imposing those convictions on others and judging them if they don't live up to our expectations. Now in the church, we walk a fine line between making judgments and being judgmental. Jesus wants us to be self-aware helpers, not self-righteous hypocrites. So we're going to look at this passage of scripture this morning to see how we can be helpful instead of being judgmental. One thing we see that we need to do is we need to start by looking at ourselves first. I want to read verses 3 to 5 again. It says, Why do you look at the speck of sawdust in your brother's eye and pay no attention to the plank in your own eye? How can you say to your brother, let me take the speck out of your eye, when all the time there is a plank in your own eye? You hypocrite, first take the plank out of your own eye, and then you will see clearly to remove the speck from your brother's eye. The emphasis in these verses are in two little words, your own. Three times in three verses, Jesus speaks about your own eye. Now, it's been said that we're good judges for the mistakes of others, but good defense lawyers for, the mis- for our own mistakes. So we're very good at judging others, but not so good at judging ourselves. I love the illustration Jesus uses here when he says, How can you say to your brother, let me take the speck out of your eye, when all the time there is a plank in your own eye? This is such a great illustration. It's full of humor and wisdom, and it gets right to the point. The word translated here as plank literally refers to something that holds something else up. So it's like the idea of a joist or a beam in a house or a building that goes from one side to the other. And it's used to support a floor or a ceiling. That's the kind of of log or beam that Jesus is talking about here. It's a giant piece of wood that supports an entire building. So picture this, one guy with this giant house-supporting beam sticking out of his eye, and yet this man is far more concerned about the small little speck, the little piece of sawdust that's in his brother's eye. Jesus had a sense of humor. He was so good. And when it comes to seeing other people's sins... We seem to think we have 20-20 vision, not realizing that we can sometimes be blind to our own sin. Or to put it another way, we see people's, other people's sins with a microscope, but we see our own sins through the wrong end of a telescope. You know, we look at our friends and we see some of the horrible decisions that they make as parents. Or we look at family members and we see some of their terrible financial decisions. Or we can look at some people and we may be amazed at their moral weakness. And yet we can't see our own sin. That's why when it comes to judging, it is so important to look at ourselves first. Andy Stanley says, When I'm tempted to pass judgment on thee, I should stop and check for traces in me. I like that. And I'd like to point out that this is not to minimize the pain of having a piece of sawdust in your eye. When it gets in the wrong spot, it can be incredibly painful and it can cause permanent damage. It is serious. I had a wife text me this week and say, please pray for my husband. He got a speck of sawdust in his eye and it's really painful. Thankfully, that person's going to be fine, but it can be serious. So in no way was he minimizing the pain of 
of a speck in your eye. Jesus, I think he might have had first-hand experience with this. He was trained as a carpenter, and I don't think he would have wore goggles. So he might have at some point even got a speck of sawdust in his own eye. Um, it can be serious, and, and it is our responsibility to help others. We shouldn't ignore the speck in our brother's eye. The speck does need to be removed. It's not loving to ignore another person's faults. A.W. Pink put it this way, If I really have my brother's welfare at heart, then love itself requires that I wink not at his sins, but rather endeavor to save him from them. Just as much as it would demand me warning him when I perceive the first wisp of smoke issuing from one of his windows, why wait till his house is half burned down before giving the alarm? See, when most people, though, they use the phrase, don't judge me, what they usually mean is leave my speck alone. But that is not what Jesus is saying here. Jesus doesn't want us to downplay the importance of removing specks. Instead, if we look at the verse in context, we can find the preferred solution. In verse 5, first take the log out of your own eye, and then you will see clearly to take the speck out of your brother's eye. Jesus commands us to address the stuff in our own lives, not just so that that stuff is not in our lives anymore, but also because then we're able to help others with the stuff in their lives. Jesus wants us to move from being judgmental to being helpful. See, love forbids me to size you up and write you off, but love also forbids me from sizing you up and walking away. Now, the second thing in this passage that we see that we need to do is to have the right attitude when helping others with the speck in the eye. We see this in verse 2. Jesus said, for in the way you judge, you will be judged. Jesus is saying here that before we judge someone, we need to put ourselves in that person's place. And we need to ask ourselves, how would I want to be treated if I were on the other end of what I'm about to say? How would I take it? And with that in mind, we need to change or adjust our attitude in delivering that judgment. So how do you want to be judged? I want to be judged not. <laughs> I don't want to be judged at all. Do you want to be judged? But if you have to judge me, I want you to judge me mercifully. I want you to judge me in a way that you take into account the home I grew up in. I want you to take into account all my insecurities. I want you to take into account the way the people have treated me in the past, my entire history, the temptations I struggle with. Isn't that how you would want to be judged? I know that when I need to be corrected, I really want it to be done in a loving way. I don't want it to be done harshly. I want it to be done in, in, in the right attitude. And, and don't go about talking to everybody else about it. Just come and talk to me about it. You see, a big part of this would involve looking for the best in people. We need to give people the benefit of the doubt until we're proven wrong. And then we shouldn't be surprised or shocked when the person actually changes. 
Years ago, I read this story about this man's wife who complained for years that her husband kept leaving the cap off the toothpaste. Finally, he decided that he should put it back on to please her. And so from then on, he started to put the cap back on the toothpaste. After a week of this, his wife looked at him very suspiciously and said, How come you stop brushing your teeth? She obviously wasn't looking for the best in her husband. So another danger with the attitude here would be jumping to conclusions, perhaps judging others by their outward appearance. In the Daily Bread, there's a story that's told that illustrates the silliness of judging others by appearance. The writer relates an incident in the life of a man called Bishop Porter. He was sailing from Europe to the great trans, on one of those great transatlantic ocean liners. When he went on board, he found that another passenger was to share the cabin with him. After going to his accommodations, he came to the purser's desk and inquired if he could leave his gold watch and his other valuables in the ship's safe. He explained that ordinarily he would never invade, uh, avail himself of that privilege, but He had been in the cabin, and he saw the person who was supposed to occupy the other bunk. And judging from his appearance, he was afraid that he might not be a very trustworthy person. The purser accepted the responsibility for the valuables, and he remarked, It's okay, Bishop. I'll take good care of it. No worries. He said, And also the other man, he was just up here and left his valuables for the very same reason. See, we shouldn't judge other people by their appearance, their outward appearance. There's a lot to also be said about our demeanor. If you do find yourself needing to help another person remove the speck, correct them, you can learn a lot from how Jesus did it. Think of the woman caught in adultery in John chapter 8. He shielded that woman, and then he said to her, Go, from now on, sin no more. See, certainly he was not soft on sin, but he had a way of correcting people that was gentle and loving. And he is a powerful example for us to follow. As he says here in this passage, we are to be careful. For the way you judge, you too will be judged. Now, there's a story about this mom. Maybe some of you parents can relate to this. And she was in one of the rooms of her home, and suddenly she heard a scream from her three-year-old son. And he was there playing with her, her one-year-old daughter. So she ran, and she asked, what happened? And the boy tearfully and angrily told her that his sister had pulled her hair. Well, his mom felt bad for him, and she tried to explain to him that really it it wasn't his sister's intention to hurt him. She was just one years old, and she didn't understand what it felt like to have your hair pulled like that. So feeling that she had done a great job in helping her son understand, um, she went back to doing what she was doing, and it was only about a couple minutes later when she heard another scream. But this time it was from her daughter. She ran to the room and she asked what happened. While hardly looking up from his toys, his son, her son quietly responded, now she knows. <laughs> See, if you know what it feels like to be judged wrongly or with little care or sensitivity, then you know how it can hurt It also means you know what not to do to others. But that's not the whole 
part of the illustration. The point also is this. If you know what it's like to be judged by God correctly and then forgiven, then you know the the attitude that you ought to have with other people. That's the kind of helpfulness and discipleship that Jesus calls you and me to. Now, the third thing we need to do to be helpful and not judgmental is to use the proper standard of judgment. We see in verse 2, it says, and with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. In a sense, Jesus is still talking about attitude here, but it seems that there's maybe something deeper here. When making judgments, we need to use the proper standard. An improper standard would be involved basing our judgment on human opinion. Paul warned us about this in Colossians 2.8 when he said, See to it that no one takes you captive through philosophy and empty deception according to the tradition of men, according to the elementary principles of the world, rather than according to Christ. The traditions of men are deceptive. The traditions of men change over time. Oftentimes, traditions are wrong. What's accepted today might be considered a sin tomorrow, or what's condemned today might be accepted 10 years from now. So using tradition, then, is an example of using an improper standard. We need to remember what Jesus said in John 7, 24, when he said, judge with a righteous judgment. Our judgment has to be matched up with the word of God. And as Christians, we are to be self-aware. We need to look at ourselves first, and then with the right attitude, we compare that behavior to the word of God. And then we can make that judgment. The proper standard with the appropriate attitude, that's what you would call the truth in love. And that's how we need to respond to people, the truth in love. Because you see, as I said before, love forbids me to size you up and write you off. But love also forbids me for sizing you up and walking away. We are to be helpful and not judgmental. So to sum all this up, how can we do that? How can we be more helpful and not judgmental? What should our response be? Well, the first thing we need to do is check for plank eye. Now, let me tell you, this is a serious condition. And the symptoms are these. If you have plank eye, you size people up and write them off. Another symptom is you think critical thoughts of others. Another symptom, you love to point out the faults in other people. Another one is you have blindness to your own faults. Now think about those things. Think, do I have any of those symptoms in my own life? If you do, if you suspect that you have plank eye, you need to repent. You need to ask God to help you. And another caution is be careful because plank eye is contagious. You may not want to be around people who have plank eye because you just might end up acting that same way and being like that. The other thing that I think we need to take away from this is to be helpful and not judgmental. After God has removed the plank from your eye, I can see clearly now the plank is gone. (laughs) You and I, with meekness and the right attitude and with the proper standard, need to help our brothers and sisters in Christ remove the speck that is in their eye. You know, my hope and my prayer for this church 
is that we will be a family, a group of brothers and sisters that know their own sin, who have experienced the love, of, love and the grace of God and who are constantly and lovingly helping one another to remove the specks so that we can grow in our faith together. Now, this message, it's been directed to Christians, people who know Jesus, people in our church family. But you might be there or listening online, and you don't have a relationship with Jesus. Maybe you're the person who looked at, looks at Christians and thinks, oh, they're just judgmental. Well, I want you to know that God loves you with an everlasting love. And you don't have to wait until you got it all together to come to him. It's a free gift. Salvation is free. Romans 10.9 says, If you declare with your mouth Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. So I would encourage you to put your trust in him today to save you. Confess to him that you're a sinner and ask him, invite him into your life, tell him you want to be in relationship with you, and it will be the best decision you could ever make. And if you do do that, please let me know. Or if you're online, click the I Commit My Life to Christ button right now because we want to be here for you. We want to uh, journey with you and rejoice with you and answer any questions that you might have.